0: And let's go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll Or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more behold the line of the tribe of judah the root of david has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders i saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes and with seven sp- and w- which are the seven spirits of god uh, sent out into all the earth and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for they were for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why are you here? Is this just what we do on a typical Sunday morning? Why are you here specifically when so many other religions seem to be really appealing? Asatru and other forms of paganism are trending right now. There are many religions that tell us we have everything within ourselves to be able to find our peace. Self-help promises that if we have just the right amount of coaching, we can find our own happiness. Why are you here? Revelation 5 answers why we are here. The answer will pull us out of the mundane and formulaic. The answer will show us that no other religion, philosophy, or ideology is worthy the answer will make us want to give our all to the only one who is worthy. Only Jesus is worthy because there is no one like him. He is the Redeemer, and all creation submits to him. We need to look at Revelation 5 carefully because its implications are bigger than our Sunday morning habits. If Jesus is the only worthy one, then following anything else is destructive. Lives devoted to unworthy things will only lead to sadness and insignificance. If we want truly joyful, stable, and worthy lives, we need to find what is worthy. Please keep prayerfully listening so that we may learn how to live for the worthy one. Now, in order to see Christ's worthiness in this passage, we need to understand a few things about Revelation. And admittedly, Revelation is a very difficult book. Just in this chapter alone, we have a lamb with seven eyes and seven horns and seven spirits. What is going on? So, um, thankfully, I think that there are four principles that we can use to help us get a good grip on Revelation. And these four principles can be summarized from shooting pool. Now, when I was learning how to play pool, uh, yeah, yeah. so now, when I was learning how to play pool, I was so bad, I was the handicap for all of the really good players. Um, but somebody, and, and I, I will fully confess, I'm still bad, but I went from terrible to bearable when somebody sh- taught me how to line up four particular things. The first one being the pocket I wanted to put, hit, the ball I wanted in that pocket, the cue ball, and my arms. So as we try to comprehend... Revelation, what are the four things that we need to line up? Well, the first, if you will, the pocket for Revelation is the book's main theme. Scholar William Hendrickson says that Revelation's theme is summarized in Revelation seventeen fourteen, which says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. As we read Revelation, we should read knowing Christ is victorious, which calls us, to faithfulness. The next thing we need to learn is how this passage makes sense for us and the first hearers. When Revelation was written, the church was under persecution. Knowing how Revelation blessed the first hearers will guide and bless us. But how do we get inside the original audience's mind? by seeing the Old Testament connections. Revelation borrows more extensively from the Old Testament than any other New Testament book. Unpacking the Old Testament allusions will help us get into the first hearer's minds and the text's meaning. The last principle we need to line up is understanding apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is the genre that Revelation is written in, and it uses symbolic language to unfold something. So as we read things like the lamb having seven eyes, we should not take that literally. Instead, we should ask, what is the Apostle John telling us about that lamb through the seven eyes? So quick recap. To help manage the difficulty in Revelation requires seeing the lamb's victory in our perseverance, finding how the original audience made sense of the passage, recognizing the Old Testament allusions, and discerning apocalyptic symbolism. These principles will help us manage the difficulty in understanding Revelation. Now, with these four things lined up, let's look at how jesus only Jesus is worthy because there is no one like him. To appreciate the significance of verses 1 through 5, we need to look more closely at this scroll, or some translations say, book. Notice the scroll is in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. The expression him who is seated on the throne is John's way of referring to God the Father. This scroll is so important that God himself holds it. Also, this scroll has seven seals. These seals assure us that the scroll's contents are original, official, and untampered. Further, the writing on the scrolls front and back shows that the content is extensive and comprehensive. So what is the content? Well, the Old Testament can help us. In Daniel 7 and 12 and Ezekiel 2 through 3, books signal the future of God's people and judgment on evil. Accordingly, the scroll is a heavenly book containing God's plan and the destiny of the world. It is about judgment and the inheritance the Lord's children will receive. It promises that our suffering is in God's good plan, and he will conquer evil. Now, why might judgment and God's power over suffering be important? Well, the original audience can help us. Revelation is likely written during the persecution that was led under Emperor Domitian. Domitian was an evil man who killed members of his own family, and forced people to refer to him as Lord and God. The people who first read Revelation likely lost life, limb, and friends for their faith. They would be wondering if God had forgotten about them, or if God was powerless to save them. But this scroll meant that God would save, redeem, and glorify them. And God the Father in his wisdom wants a mediator to execute the scroll's contents. And there lies the issue. Verse 3 is clear. No one in the universe is worthy of executing redemption. This is why John weeps vehemently. Because every living creature, even in heaven, is unworthy. There appears to be no hope. Now, when we hear that we are unworthy, there are two kinds of reactions we need to be careful to avoid. And the first reaction is to believe that we are unlovable. While we are unworthy, nothing could be further than the truth than than to say that we are unlovable because Christ has loved us. He has witnessed our unworthiness and has decided to love us anyway. Loved us to the point of death. The second reaction, though, that we need to avoid is taking... An issue with what Scripture says, For some of us, when we hear that we are unworthy, our, our reaction is to say, "That's wrong." But the Bible insists on this. Romans 3:10 through 12 says, "None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We may tell ourselves that we are good, but how does this verb describe us if we are separated from Christ? Not seeking God, doing evil, lacking understanding. We need Christ and not self-help. Self-help fails because it says to the spiritually dead, live when they are dead. We need Jesus and not works-based religions like Judaism, Buddhism, and Islam. We will never be able to do enough good works to save ourselves. We need life. Praise God that Jesus is so worthy. Because Jesus is perfect in every way, he takes the scroll and executes God's salvation plan. Because Christ overcame death and the devil through his death, we will receive God's life and promises. No one is like Jesus. He is the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who is the root of David. And Jesus, as both God and man, has died to redeem his lost people as their Messiah. Another thing that makes Christ unique from everyone else is that he is equal to God. Revelation 5 makes clear that Jesus is in no way subordinate to God the Father. We see this clearly in verses 13 through 14, where the universe praises the lamb and the father as one. But why should we care about these details? Why are you here today? Well, one critical reason is that only here can we find hope for our suffering. I have a a soldier who actively practices a satru which means he believes in the the Norse pagan gods, and he was telling me about some suffering that's going on in his life and and that he's also praying to Odin, um, and that Odin is only going to give him a more difficult path in his life. And when I heard that, I was heartbroken. Who wants to serve a God who's going to make issues worse for you when you cry out to him for help? At the very best, that God is contrary. But for you, child of God, you have real Hope in grief and suffering. The hope our brothers and sisters had under Emperor Domitian is the same hope we have. This is how seeing the theme of Revelation can help us. We serve a God who holds the oceans in his hands. A God who has defeated sin and death on the cross. A God who is so powerful, he can use our suffering for good. Whatever your struggle is, lay it at Christ's feet He will help you bear it. He will help you grow in it. He will not let it have the final say in your life. Another reason we should care about Revelation 5 is it helps us understand worthiness. Specifically, it shows us that worthiness is only found in Christ. If Jesus is not your exclusive Savior, then the Bible warns you that you are unworthy. Your best efforts cannot save you, but Christ can. All you need is to prayerfully confess your unworthiness to God, that only in the death of Jesus can you find worthiness, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will try to live a life worthy of Christ. If you do this, you will be saved. Now, if you are a Christian, we need to ask ourselves, what are the unworthy things that we cling to? I know in my Own life, one of the ways that I often sin is it's very easy for me to try and define myself by my works and my abilities. Even though I know those things can't save me, even though I will never be satisfied in those things, in my sin sometimes it's easy to define myself by my work. And so, brothers and sisters, I encourage you, whatever your your struggle is, prayerfully confess with me what the lesser things are that you're living for, whether those are your work, your family, or some form of pleasure. But there is also hope. Despite our sin, because Jesus is our Savior, nothing can take our worth. Your feelings cannot rip you from God's hands. Your past sins, present temptations, and future failures are not fatal. When God the Judge sees you, he sees you always dressed in his Son's righteousness. If Jesus is your Redeemer, then you can rejoice with this song to wonders now that I confess my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. We in and of ourselves are unworthy, but in Christ we are cleansed, justified, and sanctified so that in us glorification has begun. Our identity is secure in Christ. And we've just talked about a lot, so let's do a quick review. Only Jesus is worthy to take the scroll and execute God's redemption plan. He is worthy because he is perfect, has defeated death, and is God. Because Jesus is executing God's plan, we have hope for our suffering, salvation, and security. Next, we see that only Jesus is worthy because no one is like him, and he is the Redeemer. Verse 6 introduces one of the greatest and most important paradoxes in the Bible. Verse 5 said that Jesus is a lion, but verse 6 calls him a lamb. And not just any lamb, one that has died. How is a dead lamb able to save us from sin and death? We need to remember that God's way of doing things is different and at times offensive. To ours, when Jesus died on the cross, though we deserve to die, He removed our sins. Jesus, the only perfect person, died to save evil people, and his dying killed death. This makes no sense to the world, but god 's wisdom is greater than ours. as we consider this lamb, we need to remember that we 're in apocalyptic literature now, if you google. Um, a seven-horned and seven-eyed lamb, the, the results are slightly terrifying. Not that I've done that myself. Um, but what, what are these horns and eyes? What do they symbolize? Well, again, the Old Testament helps us. In the Old Testament, horns represented power. The number seven signifies fullness and completeness. So this lamb has full and complete power. Also, the Old Testament sheds light on the seven eyes, and they connect to Second Chronicles 16.9 to show this lamb is all-knowing. John also has in mind Zechariah 3, nine, where God promises to remove his people's sins. Because the lamb has died and paid for sin, it is fully removed. And God's Spirit, symbolized in the seven eyes, is released into the world to do God's work. These seven eyes mean that our sins are dealt with and the Holy Spirit is making us more like Christ. Now verses eight through ten help us understand the good news of verses six through seven. Verse nine mentions the living creatures and twenty four elders sing a new song. In the Old Testament a new song is always an expression of praise for God's victory over an enemy. The defeated enemy in Revelation 5 are the forces of sin and evil. But what did this victory cost Christ? His own blood. We've mentioned several times today Christ's sacrifice, but this truth can never be emphasized enough. After all, that is the real reason why we are here today. Buddha did not die for us. Muhammad certainly did not die for us. Only Christ has loved us so much that he would die to redeem us. Never let that become old news. Um, And Christ's death has rescued people from all over the world. This makes the family of God rich, diverse, and beautiful. What a powerful death that people from around the world can be saved. So how should we apply this text to our lives? Remember the paradoxes that Jesus is a lion and a lamb. Why does that matter? Because we need a God who does both. We need a lion to overpower evil. We need a lamb who is gentle and able to lead us when we are weak and worn. Allah claims to be a powerful God with 99 names, none of which are love. Our Lord is love. Self-help is obsessed with love but is powerless to change spiritually dead people. Our Lord brings the spiritually dead to life. Whatever your need or struggle, we have a triune God who is able and gentle. Cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you. No matter amen, amen. No matter how big, dark, or hard, you may not get the answer you expect, but God will give you what is best. Also, Revelation 5 forces us to see that there is no room for racism in Christ's kingdom. Jesus died for people from every tribe, language, and tongue. If Jesus loves people enough to die for them, we should be willing to love them as well. As our nation is hurting, we have a message and a means to love like no one else can. Pray that we as members of Christ's family show the world what love across many cultures looks like. Another important thing to remember is Christ's sacrifice. If you do not know Christ, his love invites you to know him. Do not think about the lies people have told you about him. Do not be diverted by the hypocrisy you have witnessed. Here is his word and it screams to you, I love you enough to die for you. Please receive him. Christ's blood also makes us want to give up our sins, not not in fear or a desire to earn his love, but as a loving response to his sacrifice. Whatever sins you are feeding in private or in public, give them up for the worthy one. Lastly, Christ's blood gives us assurance. There are people who believe they have sinned so badly, God cannot forgive them. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus has nailed our sins to the cross. There is no sin so great, no mistake so powerful that Jesus' blood stops working. If Satan is trying to tell you today that you are unredeemable, do not believe it. If you trust in Jesus, you are living in everlasting, blood bought freedom. Now let's review. No one is like Jesus because he is the Redeemer. He is the lion lamb who has won victory through his death. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. His blood has ransomed people around the world from sin and death. He is a lion who will crush our enemies and a lamb who leads us gently. These truths call us to embrace him, turn from sin, and rest in his finished work. Only Jesus is worthy because there is no one like him. He is the Redeemer and all creation submits to him. Verses 11 through 14 show the universe praising the Lamb. And and this praise is not a flat like, hey, I think that guy's pretty cool. The universe is submitting to him. Think about the book of Philippians. In chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, all of the world bows before Jesus. So Revelation 5, like, Philippians 2 is reminding us that Jesus is king of the universe. Certainly, Jesus is already king, but Revelation 5 is reminding us of what is already true and what is going to be finalized when Christ returns. How do we know this? When the Lamb took the scroll, it is because God the Father exalted him. Because God the Father exalted him, The Lamb works in concert with the one on the throne, having the same power and authority. Nothing can resist God the Father. Because the Lamb is one with him, nothing will resist him either. As we close, I want to leave you with this thought. We began today asking, why are you here? We are here because we serve a glorious God and Redeemer so glorious, gracious, and great, that he rightly rules over us. Christ's rule over us requires us to reverence his name. Reverencing his name means surrendering our lives to him. It means we daily try to die to sin and live like Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It means seeking his glory even if it costs our own. Living like this is challenging. Why would we want to do it? Because the Lamb has died for us. His death promises a day when we will no longer wrestle to live for what is worthy. A day when we will, he will make sense of our suffering and we rejoice around his throne. A day when death dies, tears are wiped from our eyes, and we live with the worthy one. Why are you here? Because the Lamb is worthy. Please close with me in prayer.